Amen. Thank you, Will. Thank you, worship team. And thank you again for being here today. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. We are in the middle of our series through the book of Colossians, this ancient letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians living in the ancient city of Colossae in the first century AD. And uh, we have, man, this is just a letter jam-packed with great theological depth uh, and truth for us to discover as we uh, work our way through this letter from Paul. So uh, we're going to be in verses 6 through 10, verses 6 through 10 of chapter 2 today. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. You can look on the screens. We'll have the scripture there uh, for you as well. But hey, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to bless his word as we receive it today. Lord Jesus, we, again, we thank you so much that we're able to be here, that we're able to open up the word of God, Lord, your words to humanity. God, you are the God who wants to be known, and you have revealed yourself and your truth to us. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word now, as we read and hear these words, these words from you, that you would truly use them to change who we are, to change how we think about ourselves, to to change how we think about you and how we think about this world. Lord, would you give us your wisdom to do that? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The author Neil Postman, uh, in his famous book that was very timely and prophetic in many ways, Amusing Ourselves to Death, perhaps you've read this book by Postman, he talks about how communication of information has progressed over the years. So the the ways that we actually communicate uh, information as a human race have developed dramatically since about the 1840s. Until the 1840s, he says, information could move only as fast as a human being could carry it, or specifically as fast as a train could travel. And everything up until that point was in print, right? So you can only get information by reading some kind of newspaper or printed word. But then, The invention of the telegraph. Anybody still use telegraph at home? No. Uh, The invention of the telegraph created, he says, the possibility of a unified American discourse. The The telegraph produced, he says, an abundant flow of information that had very little or nothing to do with those to whom it was addressed. In a sea of information... There was very little of it to use. A man in Maine and a man in Texas could converse, but not about anything either of them knew or cared very much about. So in other words, in the mid-1800s, people were primarily concerned about what was going on geographically close to them. Right? There was proximity around them that they cared about, but beyond a certain uh, geographical location, there just wasn't a lot of concern. So you were more concerned about your city, your town, you know, your area. But then fast forward, right? Fast forward, let's go well beyond the telegraph, right? Radio, television. Fast forward to today's internet age. Boy, it's a mess, isn't it? (laughs) 
You can know everything about everyone and most of it is completely useless, right? I mean, do you really need to know what your high school classmate had for breakfast who lives in Idaho, right? Do you need to know that? But you probably do, right? Those of you who got on Facebook this morning, you saw it, right? Oh, those eggs look good, right? I haven't even talked to this person in 10 years, but, but here it is, right? With so much information in our internet world today, right? You hear, we, we hear phrases that have been coined uh, like conspiracy theories, right? You, you hear that a lot today. You hear the word, you hear the term fake news a lot these days. As we try to sort through all of the information, the abundance, the overload of information that is coming to our ears and our eyes every single day. I mean, we really do live in a very unique moment in human history. Humanity itself has not changed over the course of years, but the way that we communicate has. And so there is a true modern challenge as Christians living in an internet age, how can we decipher what is actually useful and what information is actually true? There's a lot of information out there that claims to be true, There's a lot of information out there that sounds reasonable and probably even attractive. So what I mean by that is there's a lot of information out there that we want to believe is true. So we may hear something or see something on the internet and we want to believe it's true and so we convince ourselves that it is true. So as we're going to see, as we keep reading in this letter written 2,000 years ago, where everything had to be handwritten or orally communicated. Was the problem really that different back then? There was still an issue of deciphering as humans what is actually true from what is being taught, from what is being said, from what is being written. So our modern world is unique in some ways, but in other ways, you know what? We're still dealing with the same issues that the Christians living in the ancient city of Colossae were dealing with. There's some kind of teaching that has crept in to the Colossian church. There is some kind of teaching, there's some kind of idea, some kind of philosophy that is floating around this city that sounds attractive, that sounds attractive, that sounds reasonable, But what Paul is concerned about is how can these Colossian Christians, how can they know what they should actually believe? How can they know that what they're hearing and what they're receiving that is declared as truth, how can they know for sure that it's actually true? How can they submit to this truth with certainty? So before we get to verse six today, I want us to look back at what Paul has just said in this letter. It's helpful sometimes to kind of look back because this is one cohesive letter, all right? So if you look at chapter two, verse three, he said that Christ, in Christ, in whom he says are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul says very clearly that Christ is the ultimate source of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is convinced that the key to understanding life itself is to understand Christ. This is vitally important 
for Christians then and today to understand because look what he says next in chapter two, verse four. There's a reason he's telling us this. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You see, Paul has a legitimate concern that there are ideas and things being said in Colossae that do not line up with the truth of Christ. And he acknowledges that what they're teaching, it sounds, he even admits, yeah, it's reasonable. It sounds pretty believable. It sounds attractive. But Paul knows, as we just read, that Christ is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. That's a bold claim. But that brings us to verse 6 in chapter 2, where we start today. Look what he says in verses 6 through 8. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, so let's follow Paul's logic, all right? First, he's saying Christ Jesus is God and the creator of the universe. He already declared that back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. You can look back and just see this beautiful explanation, this beautiful description of how great Jesus Christ is, how he is God, how he was there in the beginning and created the universe. Paul says, all right, if that's true, if that's who Jesus really is, then that means Jesus is the ultimate source of all truth. He has to be. If he is the eternal creator God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if Jesus is the creator of the universe, if he has always existed, and we can't fathom this in our human finite brains, but there must be, right? There must be an all-powerful, all-infinitely wise, infinitely great, eternal God for anything to exist. And if that is the case, then all truth must, must find its root in him. There is no other possibility. There is no logical possibility for this. His truth is eternal, absolute, authoritative. In other words, here's a simple way to say it. Whatever God says is true, is true forever. Whatever God says is true, is true forever. So if Christ is the ultimate source of all truth, then Paul is getting at this. He's saying any attempt, right? Any attempt to explain the meaning of life, or to find some better way that sounds more attractive, right? Any other attempt to live your life other than what is actually true, other than what we know to be rooted in the truth of Christ is ultimately a sham. It won't hold up over time, any other attempt. So look at verse six again. What does he tell them to do? He encourages them to continue 
walking in the truth. Continue walking in Christ. The truth they first received, they first embraced. Do you remember when you turned your life to Christ? Do you remember how you just, it's like your eyes were opened? You were enlightened truly to the truth of Christ and you realized for the first time who you really were as a sinner condemned, but then you gave your life to Christ. You trusted Jesus to be your substitute, that he died in your place on the cross, that he rose from the grave and you realized that you can't, you can't win God's love. You can't earn his approval. You finally realized that you could not save yourself And you trusted Jesus for the first time to truly be your savior, to be everything you could never be. Do you remember that moment? Maybe you were a child, maybe you were a teenager, maybe you were an adult. Maybe you're still pondering these things. Maybe you're not there yet. But Paul is encouraging these Colossian Christians who are new Christians. They're new to the faith. He says, remember what you first believed? Continue in that. Continue in that truth and let it guide all your understanding of whatever information that hits your ears, being just as thankful for it now as you were when you first believed. So do you see the case? Do you see the case Paul is making for Christ? To show these new Christians living in a pagan city, a city that is not Christian by any stretch of the imagination He is telling them, this is what you must see. This is what you must understand, that Christ is enough. You don't need Jesus plus some other clever teaching. You don't need Jesus plus some other philosophy. Jesus himself and the world he created and the way he designed it and what he told us about himself is enough. Why? Well, he tells us why. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's a little bit of a confusing phrase, but what he means is Jesus is God. If God is the source of all ultimate truth and whatever God says is true is true forever, guess what? That dwells in Christ himself, God in the flesh. And verse 10, get this. He says, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Paul is making a very strong case that Jesus Christ is enough, period. That whatever rule, whatever authority, whatever truth or claim, truth claim you're hearing from the world, he says, ultimately everything answers to Jesus, the creator of all things, and you have him. You have him. You have been filled in him, Paul says. Verse 10, I like the way the NIV, the NIV translation says it this way in verse 10. It says, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Paul is relentless. He is relentless in his declaration that Jesus Christ is God and therefore is the source of all truth and What a remarkable thing that we can have a personal relationship with the source of all truth. We can know the one who is truth. And if you truly know Christ, 
If you have turned away from your sin and trusted Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for you, Paul says you've got the truth you need. You have all the truth you'll ever need. Every power, every authority in this world that tries to compete, they're all under his rule, his authority. They all must answer to him whether they realize it or not. So we're going to stop at verse 10 today. And I know that's not many verses, but there's a lot to unpack just from these verses alone. And then next week will be kind of like a part two of this sermon. We're going to look at verses 11 through 15 and see how they relate to verses 6 through 10. All right? But here's what we need to see today. From these verses, 6 through 10 of chapter 2, here's the question we have to ask. How can we continue walking in the truth of Christ? How can we, as Christians living in a modern world with the internet age and all the information that we see before our eyes, just countless news stories, countless opinions, countless ways people want to convince you that you need to buy this product or you need this thing in your life or you need this belief system to be a true good person in the world today. All of that. Can we, is, is, is there some kind of way that we can filter all of that stuff into our minds with a proper understanding of what is actually true? Yes, there is. How can we continue walking in the truth of Christ? That's what we're asking today. So I think it's helpful to think of it this way, and I'll explain. Uh, so anybody got a March Madness bracket going on? Yeah, it's terrible, right? It's terrible. So I'm very happy to say my alma mater, Kennesaw State University, uh, made the tournament, all right? And uh, so I'm a true fan. I'm very loyal. So I picked them to be the national champion. They lost in the first round. So, <clears throat> uh, so I talked a lot of smack uh, before the tournament started. Now I'm last in both the groups I'm in, so I'm in very last place in our church group, and I'm going to hear it from some people, and that's okay. I deserve, I deserve to hear it. But here's the thing. I picked them to win it all. I'm a true fan, and they lost in the first round, and apparently, apparently you have to play not just defense, but you also have to play good offense to win a basketball game, uh, which we did not do in the second half. It was miserable. They went like eight minutes without even scoring uh, a basket, a field goal. It was, it was terrible. So here's what you got to do, right? People say defense wins championships. Well, maybe. But at the end of the game, guess what? The person with the most points wins, all right? So guess what's equally important? Offense. Offense and defense is what wins. I think there's a similarity there with the way we think about our Christian worldview and how we engage with information that is coming to us in the world today, I think we have to play both offense and defense. And I want to explain what I mean by that. I think that's what you see, believe it or not, here in verses 6 through 10. All right? Number one, I think as Christians in the world today, we have to think defensively. All right? First, we have to think the defensive side of the ball in other words, we have to understand the challenge from the world, all right? We have to understand the challenge from the world. There's an article on Psychology Today's website by Darcia Narvaez titled, Do You Know How to Evaluate Truth Claims? Do you know how to evaluate truth claims? This is coming from Psychology Today. She opens the article by saying the media is flooding us with misinformation, how do we manage it? 
That's the question she's, she's pondering. And she quotes the late famous scientist uh, and astronomer, Carl Sagan. Now, Carl Sagan was agnostic, wasn't convinced there was a God or was not a God. Uh, so definitely this is not a Christian point of view. But Carl Sagan said, he said this about trying to know, how can we know what is really true? He says, finding the occasional straw of truth awash in a great ocean of confusion and bamboozle requires vigilance, dedication, and courage. But if we don't practice these tough habits of thought, we cannot hope to solve the truly serious problems that face us. And we risk becoming a nation of suckers, a world of suckers, up for grabs by the next charlatan who saunters along. The point that I see here in Carl Sagan's quote is this idea that whether you are a Christian or not, we all have this desire in us to know what is actually true. We all want to know truth. Since ancient times, humanity has been obsessed with this quest to explain the meaning of our lives. To be able to know that when we wake up every morning, there's a real legitimate purpose that we have, that we're living for something greater than ourselves. We all want to belong to something, some movement, some kind of philosophy or idea that we feel gives us respect, meaning, purpose, and validity as humans. You see, as Christians, we know that Christ is the ultimate source of truth, that truth can be known. So as we are listening to the different things coming to us from the world, it could be on the internet, but listen, it could be in conversation with a family member who's not a believer. It could be in conversation, right, with a neighbor or a coworker who's talking about something out there in the world, perhaps about what they believe about God, right? As you're listening to these thoughts, what does Peter say that we should do? Look at this in 1 Peter 3.15. Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a what? Defense. A defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. He says, But do it with gentleness and respect. Right? So we're talking about this in our apologetics class on Wednesday nights here at the church, part of our current and equip ministries. Many of you are a part of that, right? So we've been talking about this, haven't we? How Peter, uh, he wants Christians to engage with non-Christians. He wants us to be able to articulate what we believe, but not so that we can sound smart, right? This, this is not so that we can sound smarter than them or we can, you know, play Jeopardy and beat them in the Bible category. Like, ha, told you, right? Like, it was not that. Right? It's, it's none of those things that we appear arrogant or that we are a know-it-all. It's not that at all. That's why Peter clarifies, no, we do this with gentleness. We do this with respect. We do this as a friend. Right? In today's world, we do this in a way that says, you know what? I'm genuinely interested in your well-being. Even though we disagree about God, even though we disagree about church, even though we disagree about all these things, I still see the image of God in you, and I want that to flourish. I want you to know Christ. I want you to see Jesus for who he truly is. 
So Peter says we have to be prepared to understand the world's arguments so that we can articulate truth with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends who don't know Christ, right? So look at what Paul says in Colossians 2, again, verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, it's worth noting that commentators point out that Paul was not condemning philosophy in general, okay? He's not saying that we shouldn't think critically about the world or we shouldn't seek to understand philosophical arguments. That's not what he's saying, right? But what he's concerned about is any, quote, philosophy, right, that is not rooted in the absolute truth of God. Now, as we think about engaging with a lost world and the information coming to us, here's the issue that we're facing in today's world. In our modern world today, many people challenge the very concept of absolute truth. So we live in a very relativist society, right? Where relativism is one of the most uh, prominent belief systems in our world today. Relativism essentially states that Anything can be true for any person at any time. So whatever you think is true is good for you, all right? And I'm going to have my truth over here, all right? Now, you don't bother me with your truth, and I won't bother you with my truth. So you may hear someone say, the world today, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Yeah, but what's wrong with that statement? That's an absolute statement, isn't it? Think about that. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Do you know that to be absolutely true? That's all you have to say, right? With gentleness and respect, right? See, that doesn't make any sense. The idea that one thing and another thing can both be true at the same time in the same way, but opposed to each other is logically incoherent. That is literally not possible. It's not possible metaphysically. It's not possible in the natural world. It's not possible in philosophy. There must be absolute truth. But actually for the Colossians, it seems the challenge was a little trickier than that. Because it was actually coming from people who claimed to be Christians. But they were teaching, the new Christians in Colossae, they were teaching that you need something in addition to life, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ for fulfillment and intellectual superiority or intellectual fullness. But we see that today too. And listen to me. Hey, it's not just coming from outside world. We have to be careful in the Christian church that we are not hearing things or letting our hearts be uh, believe things that are not true according to Christ. That seems to be the issue in Colossians. There are false versions of Christianity today that sound reasonable on the outset. There are false versions of Christianity today that may appear attractive on the surface. But in the end, when you really dig deeper into what they're actually teaching and what they're actually saying, it is not according to Christ. I think there's some examples I need to give just so we're clear on what I'm saying. Mormonism is a great example. I don't mean to speak negatively about any group of people. I want you to be very clear about this. But what I am saying is there is a teaching that is in the world today that says it is Christian, that says it believes in Jesus Christ. That belief and that teaching is 
100% false. It is against the true gospel of Jesus Christ. If you dig deep enough, you don't have to dig far to see it. Jehovah's Witness would be another example. Another example is you turn on one of these Christian TV channels and you will see pastors wearing all kind of gold cuff links and pink hair and all kind of good stuff, right? You know, multi-thousand dollar suit, whatever. And they're telling you that all you have to do is send them money and God will heal you. Wow, man, that's, isn't that great? All you have to do is just write them a big check and you'll be healed. There's a health and there's a wealth prosperity gospel out there that has somehow crept into the doors of churches across America that is 100% false. It is against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself came to this world to suffer. And if we follow his lead, we will in some way suffer as well because this world is opposed to Christ. There's watered-down liberal teaching in the churches in America sometimes. You may hear preaching and teaching in a Christian church that doesn't actually focus on the gospel. So they'll give you four or five ways that you can live a happy life and have your best life now. But there's no mention of Christ and Him crucified. There's no mention of the cross or what sin is or what grace truly is. We have essentially, in our nation, created our own version of Jesus. And we all struggle with this. I saw on Facebook this week, I followed the New York Times opinion section, but I don't pay for the articles, so I don't actually get to read most of them. <laughs> but the titles of the articles are really interesting. You should check it out. Uh, but, what you do, <laughs> but what you do get to read, what you do get to read are the comments that people make. <laughs> and let me just tell you, if you want to know all the different opinions about Jesus, just wait for a religious article about Christianity to come up on the New York Times opinion section and then read the Facebook comments. Oh my goodness. All right. Now don't spend too much time doing this. All right. But it is interesting because what you see is everyone has an opinion about who they think Jesus should be. It's remarkable how we try to change history to some, a person who lived on this earth 2000 years ago. And we're like, well, you know, here's how I think Jesus should be. I got news for you. It doesn't matter how you think Jesus should be. He is who he is. He will be who he will be. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Jesus has always existed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the Lord of creation and he is the ultimate source of all truth. But here's what we do. Let me be clear, okay? Christians, before we keep pointing fingers at all the problems out there in the world and these false versions of Christianity that we need to be aware of, and that's why I named them, right? Before we get too caught up in all that, let me tell you something. We all struggle to create these versions of Jesus in our minds that we think will fit into our perfectly packaged lives that we've already established. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we even as believers, as apparently was going on in the Colossian church, that we are not trying to fit Jesus into the narrative of our lives. 
that we want to hold on to our idols and we want to worship our wealth and our money and our possessions or our status or the respect that we must have from others, our approval that we must have. We want all those things. And hey, Jesus, I'm going to go to church, you know, occasionally. And if you could just kind of work your way into my life, if you could kind of see how you fit, that'd be great. Because I mean, I want people to think I'm a Christian and I want, you know, to have, I want to think I'm a Christian. But what we must train ourselves to do as believers is to find the real truth and who Jesus actually is and what he actually says. You see, the common denominator in all of these false versions of Christianity is the idea that Christ alone is not actually enough. That his life, death, and resurrection and what that means for humanity and for the universe, what it means for your past, your present, your future, apparently that's not enough For any teaching that moves away from the gospel and doesn't root itself in the Bible and the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit's objective is to keep your focus on Christ and his gospel. But Satan and his forces of evil in this world, their objective is to do the exact opposite. And as Christians, we have to be ready to understand the defensive strategy. Do not let anything in this world distract you, even good things that you turn into idols. Don't let anything distract you or keep your, take your focus off of Christ and Him crucified. Any distraction can work. Even even distractions that are camouflaged with the label Christian. So be careful, Christians. We must understand these falsehoods. We must be prepared to make a gentle and a respectable defense when we encounter them. Number two, and lastly, we must think offense. There's an offensive strategy to this as well. As we think about the information overload that's coming to our our minds every single day, we must proactively and continually root ourselves in God's truth. Proactively, that's the offensive part, and continually. Let's look at a few of Jesus' claims about himself. So that's a great place to start, by the way. What did Jesus Christ claim to be, right? Well, look at John 18. Will read this earlier during our worship, during our service. He says, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's what Jesus says about truth. He says in John 14, 6, he said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Ephesians 4, Paul says it this way. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So the scriptures are very clear. Jesus himself is very clear. Here's something amazing that you need to understand if you're a Christ follower today. You already have the truth. You already have the truth you need because you are united with Christ. You already possess this treasure chest of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. So then Paul says, just as we initially received this treasure chest, we didn't understand it at all, Right? We didn't didn't understand it all. We didn't fully comprehend all the glories and the depths of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of our Creator. But as we initially received Christ and His truth, Paul says we must continue, continue, press on. 
in the same truth over time. Walk in it, he says. Look what he says, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Listen to the language. I love it. Established in the faith, just as you were taught originally, abounding in thanksgiving, right? In other words, hey, you know what? We should never grow tired. We should never grow tired of learning about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It is a treasure chest of wisdom and knowledge that you will never get to the bottom of. Those treasures of wisdom and knowledge are what teaches us the practical application of Christ's truth to our daily lives. So we must make a conscious, offensive, daily effort to walk in this truth, to root ourselves in this truth, to be built up in this truth. How do we do that? Well, God has chosen to reveal his truth to us in his word, the Bible. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that God, the creator of the universe, has chosen to tell us about himself? Man, we take that for granted. We take it for granted that God tells us about himself and tells us about the world. He didn't just leave us in the dark to try to figure it out on our own. He's told us the truth. So we have to take God's word, the Bible, we have to take it seriously. And I'm afraid Christians in our world today, we're just, we neglect to read the Bible. We neglect to study the Bible, right? One of our core values here at Kernan is we want to know what the Bible says and means. That's just a simple declaration that we have here at our church where we want to say, you know what? We want to actually know what the Bible says. Because here's the thing, right? In the world today, you'll hear people say, well, well, doesn't the Bible say dot, 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 right? And I mean, I, I just, it, I cringe, right? I cringe when I hear people say, well, doesn't the Bible say, because I want to want to say is like, well, I don't know, does it? <laughs> like, like, have you read it? Do you know? Or are you just guessing, right? Like, we need to know. We want to know what it actually says. But we don't want to just know what it says so we can quote it and sound smart. That's not the goal. No, we want to know what it means. Like, what does it mean for our real daily lives? You see, the more we study and understand the Bible, the more equipped and prepared we will be to guess what? Defensively guard our hearts and minds against any false teachings that are not according to Christ, that are not according to the gospel. But as we study the Bible, we must learn to actually think proactively about certain things. So we have to pray, right? We have to pray about what we're reading and, and ask the Lord to open up our hearts and our minds to the truth we're reading. So when you sit down to do your personal Bible study, my, my suggestion is, is read the scripture and, and think about it, read some study notes, you know, read some commentary, whatever you have that is an aid to help you understand, sermon notes, whatever, and then pray. But pray about what you just read, right? So don't just go through your laundry list of, you know, repetitive phrases. No, pray about the scripture you just read and ask Jesus to really open your heart, right? Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Ask the Father to give you wisdom. We should be doing Bible study and prayer in this way. We should be doing it as individuals, but hey, you know what? We should also be doing it together. 
We should read God's Word, study God's Word, and pray in Christian community as believers. You know, the more we do that, it's almost, if you think about the challenge from the world today and all the misinformation or things that we're not sure are true about God, about the world, about ourselves that we hear, you know what is really amazing? The opportunity we have as Christians. When we come together and study the Bible together, it's almost like, it's almost like we're developing a herd immunity. It's, like, it's almost like a herd immunity is, is developed against any false teaching that's out there. Because as we study and read the Bible corporately together, not just in here, but in our community groups, on Sunday mornings and on our equip classes on Wednesdays, when we do that together, when, when we hear something that just doesn't sound quite right, that doesn't sound like it's from Christ, guess what? We have each other. We have each other in Christian community to look to one another and say, yeah, I heard that, and I I don't think that's what Jesus would want us to do. This kind of proactive work, to read the Bible, to pray about what you're reading, to do it together, listen, it's a discipline, okay? It's not just magically going to happen. You're going to have to wake up early. You're going to have to stay up late. You're going to have to carve you know, some time in your lunch hour to do this whenever you can, right? It's a discipline, but it's a habit you will learn to love. It's a discipline that you'll learn to cherish as you learn to think through situations in your life with that biblical framework. My hope is this, that just like David said in Psalm chapter one, listen to this. I I hope that we could all say this, that this would be true about ourselves. In Psalm chapter one, David says, blessed, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And all the things that come across your ears and your eyes and into your mind, you prosper in knowing how to filter what is false and discern what is true. Because Christ is already full in your mind. I want to give you some practical challenges All right, so write these down if you can. I want to challenge you to buy someone an Easter present, okay? Maybe you're already, if you're a parent, maybe you're already planning on this for Easter basket, all right? But even if you're not a parent or your kids are grown and out of the house, no matter who you are, what stage of life you're in, I want you to buy somebody an Easter present. Here's why. I want you to get someone a study Bible, all right? I'm serious, I want, you, I want you to buy somebody a study Bible. Here's the caveat. You could, this could be for yourself, okay? <laughs> now, you, we all, now you're like, oh, okay, well, if I buy a present for myself, I mean, the pastor told me I had to do this, so I'll do it, right? <laughs> so you can buy this for yourself or you can gift this to someone else. Get yourself a good study Bible. Now, when I say study Bible, all right, what I mean is, is a Bible, okay, that has the actual... Uh, commentary and notes 
at the bottom, so you'll see the text of the scripture, and then at the bottom you'll see notes. Now, let me say, some are better than others, all right? I recommend the ESV and the NIV. The ESV and the NIV are my two favorite. That's not to say there aren't other good ones. Those are just personally the two I recommend. Get yourself a study Bible because as you're reading the scriptures, listen, it is so helpful when you're doing your personal time with the Lord that you can look, I mean, because if there's some kind of ancient, you know, phrasing or, you know, some kind of word that we don't use a lot in our modern language, it's so helpful to be able to immediately look and see, oh, that's what that means, right? Really helpful. All right, so Easter present, there you go, study Bible. Okay, so you can buy one for yourself, a friend, or a family member. Number two, practical challenge, I want you to join a community group if you haven't already. So join a community group here at Kernan if you haven't already because, like I just said, we need to study God's Word alone, at home by ourselves, but boy, do we need to do that together. It is so vitally important to your Christian health to your spiritual health, that you study God's word with other Christians, all right? That's number two. Number three, if you need further resources or you need help picking out a study Bible or maybe you're interested in uh, reading a particular devotional that helps walk through scripture, um, please ask, ask me after the service today or sit, you know, shoot me an email uh, or one of our staff, right? So just ask anybody on our team uh, and we would be happy to recommend some good Christian, faithful, gospel-centered resources for you. Why? Do these things, right? Do these things so that, so that we can answer, truly, so that we can answer this question in an even deeper, richer way than ever before. Is Christ enough? Yes, yes, he is. He is the source of all truth. If you need to talk with someone today, uh, our team will be out in the lobby as soon as we dismiss. We'd be happy to discuss what it means to be a Christian. If you're wondering about what it actually means to give your life to Christ or follow Jesus, if you have questions about that, hey, find our team members out there. We would love to discuss this with you. Maybe you have questions about what it means to join the church or become a member of Kernan. We would love to talk with you about that as well. Today, uh, we're not going to close with a song, but I just want to thank Will and, uh, and everybody on the worship team. Thank you guys again. Appreciate y'all. Thanks for stepping in today. So we're not going to close with a song today, um, but I want to pray, and this will be our dismissal. The prayer will be our dismissal, but um, thank you guys again so much for being here today. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to truly help us, to help us be disciplined, to get into His Word, to know how to engage with the non-Christians in our lives and how to truly find his truth. So would we all stand together as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, we want to be humble and we want to admit that we are not people who know all the answers. But Jesus, we worship you and you are the answer. You are the ultimate source of all truth. Whatever you say, Lord, we believe. But Lord, we struggle. We struggle in this world with the information all around us. We struggle 
as we engage in conversations with family members or friends or neighbors who don't know you, Lord, we struggle. We struggle sometimes to really understand your truth. We struggle to believe the gospel in our own lives. Lord, we struggle to not worship false things, to not give ourselves to false things. So Lord, help us. We want to be people of the truth. We want to be people who love your word, who follow your word. But we need your help, Holy Spirit. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us understanding? And would you give us the discipline, the dedication, the passion, the desire to know who you are, to know how you have called us to live? Would you give us the power to live that way? We thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. You are a good God to give us yourself, to give us truth. Help us to walk in it every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.